Hello, this is Kat. This is Phoebe. We are Feminine Chaos, a podcast. And you know what we're about to do now? I'm sorry, I was a little distracted. Oh, really? What was the, What would distract you? <laughs> I may have gotten a head start on, uh, you know, oh. I, was just, I was so enthusiastic about this podcast assignment that I may have, mm-hmm. I may have completed it in advance 75 times. Would you, would you say that we are both well prepared? Did we do our homework? Did we do the work? I, th- I think we are, we are doing the work as we speak. Okay, so what we're going to we're going to do something a little different for our first uh, 2024 podcast, which is that we're going to watch a video together, albeit in different places. Um at the same time, it's very wholesome. It's wholesome. Talk about it. It's a it's it's an ad even. We're going to watch an ad. We're going to watch a commercial for some underpants. <laughs> is that what's being sold here? So it's by the Calvin Klein account, which I don't, I don't even think I knew they had a Twitter. Jeremy Allen White is iconic in Calvin Klein underwear designed in New York City. Okay, so I'm going to hit play. Me too. One, two, three. Okay, so he's jauntily, this man in a wife beater undershirt is jauntily walking. He's going down some stairs, he's taking the shirt off. The shorts are coming off. He's, oh, oh, there's his crotch. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he's looking, he's looking at the camera. Oh, there's his butt. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, we'll talk about it. Um, he's climbing, which means you're about to see. Oh, there he is. There's the butt. flying too close to the stretching. Okay. Now staring once again into the camera very soulfully. He's looking at us. This is the only part of the video I'm uncomfortable with. Now he's, now this was exhausting for him. So he's going to lounge on the red velvet sofa that's on his roof. He never took his socks and shoes off. This is true. So (laughs) what's with the doves of peace? Maybe it's a message. Maybe he, it's just he wants a ceasefire. Um, yeah. So the socks and shoes, this comes up in um, as time goes by where Lionel Hardcastle has this very unattractive secretary who must have had a very a much more um, exciting past because she talks about how much of a turnoff it is when a man um, keeps his socks on you know, during right. or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know how she phrases it. But anyway, oh, and then it starts playing again. Yeah, I'll tell you, the nice thing about these videos when they post it on Twitter is they uh, they just keep going. They do, they do. <laughs> so this man, it's basically a man walks through New York. Is this New York? I don't know. Let me look again. I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, we have to be, see, what city is this? Okay, wait, well, I'm going to pause it on the skyline, which is behind his um, penis. He's doing a pull-up and then you can see the skyline... Let me let me pause it here. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, I see. There's a bridge. There's there's a penis. There's a bridge. Is that the Chrysler Building back there? <laughs> is, is that the Chrysler <laughs> Building up here? <laughs> two two big things. Um, this is this this is no four story walk up. Um, <laughs> we should probably explain what this video is. It's an ad for underpants. It's just an ad for underpants. It's literally that. It is an ad for underpants starring a man named Jeremy Allen White. So I Googled him because you have to do that for this. And I learned that he's an actor. He was He's in his early 30s. He's 32. He sure is. A fine age for a man. He is, he is, not, he is not hit the wall. <laughs> that is a reference to something we're going to be talking about later. I am not meaning to offend any men over 32 who might be listening to this. Um, Yes, he was born in 1991. He is divorced with two children, which seems impossible for somebody born in the 90s, but apparently that's possible. And I realized that I think because we have Disney Plus, 
I might be able to watch one of these things that this underpants model has been in. Ah, yes. Oh, okay. I see. He was on the series Shameless, which... Um, where Very he... apropos. <laughs> He's just walked through New York or somewhere in his underpants. He played kind of second fiddle to Emmy Rossum. And um, who's that other guy, the one who's married to Felicity Huffman? He's got three names. William H. Macy? Um, yeah. So, you know, I understand why um, it maybe took a moment for him to emerge onto the landscape in his underpants. He certainly did emerge onto the landscape. Um, is there a reason, by the way, that we're talking about this apart from just like absolutely gratuitous lust? What's the intellectual angle on this video? I mean, so I do not, he, he's not my favorite. I mean, the, the part where it's a close up of his face, I feel like is where you lose a bit of the universality of it. Because it's like either he does it for you or not. Whereas the body, it's just like, it is a body that there's not much <laughs> what what can be said. Like his face is fine. I think it's a nice face, but the the fact that he's like he's kind of looming open mouthed into the camera in a way that I don't know, it's extremely provocative and um and making direct like fourth wall breaking eye contact. It might be a bridge too far for me. I don't know. Like, is this a sign of my have I hit the wall? I'm like, please, sir, no eye contact. <laughs> No, no, no kissing. <laughs> we have to keep this casual. It, Erica Jong in um, Fear of Flying, right? She wrote about the zipless fuck, and maybe she she would have not wanted her underwear model. Not she, the author, the the character, um, would have not wanted the underwear model to look too closely. Yeah, I mean, I had a few reactions to this. <laughs> One of which was that I felt very flabby myself. Like I have as you can probably hear from my voice, I have some sort of one of these viruses. I don't know if it's the virus, if we even call it that anymore, or if it's just a virus, but something has lost my voice, which is also unrelated to my voice, meant that I have not exercised in a bit. Um, it's winter. There aren't really vegetables in Canada. And I look at this and I partly just think, wow, he works out. I don't. <laughs> so actually, um, somebody named Sean B.G., who I'm not familiar with, or quote tweeted this. Okay, he said, this used to be the body you would temporarily train up to if you were playing a superhero. Now it's the body you have to have if you're playing a moody chef on prestige evening TV and the superheroes look like alien circuit gay Olympians, which I thought was very funny. I saw this as well. I saw this as well. And I, I that that is it's good you mentioned this because this is reminding me what the bigger point because there is one. Yeah. Although I, I will say um, he was recently in a movie called The Iron Claw, which I haven't seen, but I would like to for reasons that <laughs> might become obvious shortly. It's it's a, a sports drama about professional wrestlers. And so he must have gotten in good shape for that. And it stars him, Zac Efron, and Harris Dickinson, which is, I mean, that is a trifecta of good-looking men. I have no complaints about that. And I would like to see Harris Dickinson in something apart from this show that he recently starred in called A Murder at the End of the World, which I was very excited at first because I was like, oh, Harris Dickinson is in this and he's like very handsome. Um, and then it turned out that they'd given him a lot of face tattoos and also the world's most terrible haircut in a way to, I don't know, code him as some kind of like sort of white trash heartthrob. And it, the white trash part worked. The heartthrob part not so much. It kind of killed his um, killed his vibe. So oh no, right? It's so wrong. Oh no, I just googled Harris Dickinson. He seems to be he seems to be a torso. Yeah. 
<laughs> with with a person attached. Um, yeah. So the reason I find this interesting for like actually intellectual reasons um, is the idea of like the way something I find very interesting um, and I'm writing about also, but like I, I'm happy to talk about as well, which is just the idea of like the gorgeous male body as coded something for gay men to admire and that it's almost like weird when it's straight women or bisexual women, whatever, you know, admiring it out of lust because it's really like, it's almost as if you're like appropriating a gay male act. And this comes up at various points with like, whenever there's some sort of male, very obvious eye candy post where it's like, who is it for? You know, and like where it's almost considered sometimes weird that it, and surprising that it would be for women. Like, huh, women like that, really? Women, huh? And I just find this kind of fascinating because it's like, you know, obviously you would, on, on the one hand, you would think it would be assumed that it's women because in this heteronormative society, you would assume it's women who like a man. But once it's like a chiseled man <laughs> and like a very beautiful man, then there's this idea that like, no, no, this is too visual. It would be men who are noticing this. Like if you see a group of men without their shirts on, with really like nice torsos, you would that that's like pride parade. That that says that doesn't really say for women, except of course it's for women. Like most of the people who are looking at that and interested in it are women. Yeah, the statistics would bear that out. And it, and it is interesting that, nevertheless, you know there there are certainly many many more women in the world who ostensibly you know would appreciate this on some level than there are men who would appreciate it on that same on that same level in a sexy way you know i'm sure that there are guys who are looking at this who are like fitspo um but and and go for it guys if yeah no complaints yeah you know it's good to have goals um but is it just yeah that this sort of myth of the non-visual woman you know that women don't like to look at nice looking men they are purely attracted to i don't know brains hearts nice words poetry money is the assumption oh money money status women aren't visual unless you're naked on top of a pile swimming in a pile of money like scrooge mcduck exactly exactly i don't think that all women so this is this is something that i um was i guess maybe where this will segue us into the second topic a little bit but i don't think that women's visual attractions are always to men who look like this i think that women can be visually oriented without it necessarily meaning that that is what does it for you although yes like i'm going to argue with myself on this because at the same time like i too watched this video a number of times um but yeah i i think there's this idea that that men would obviously like a woman in that sort of situation, you know. But I think there's an assumption that men, it would be like they're actually like, it would be pornographic for them. Whereas women would be like, like sort of hooting and hollering, but not actually aroused. Right, right. Like uh, Chippendale's style or whatever. Yes. Exactly, but uh, but the thing is, so like this is interesting. I I can't believe how how much I'm going to parse this ridiculous video, but you know what? I'm just gonna go for it. I think there is a very distinct vibe and a very distinct aesthetic to this that I think makes it explicitly sexy to women in a way where it's like it's not it's 100%. not ridiculous. It's, it's, it's for the female. It's for the female gaze. A hundred percent. It does not seem like a 
homoerotic thing. Well, not just that, but Chippendales is like Chippendales is funny, right? And the guys are beefy in a way that I think exceeds the like taste spectrum of the average heterosexual woman. They they tend to border more on like a bodybuilder look, which which most like I mean I'm speaking very broadly here obviously, I'm just generalizing, but you know, most women don't really find that attractive. It's more like something that guys do, you know, to like achieve a look that they want or like to impress other men or whatever. So yeah, it's not just like the aesthetic of this, but the body on this man is very, it's very like Greek statue, you know, Greek Olympian carved in marble. And and the hair, the hair, the sort of mop of hair. Oh yeah, he looks like, he looks like Michelangelo's David. I can't believe I didn't make that connection immediately. Like he basically, if, if Michelangelo's David came to life, and stuffed something into his uh, into his boxer briefs because that's also part of this. Well, that would be <laughs> that would be part of it. Yes, um, he seems like a straight guy who they've somehow made a video where the fact that this straight seeming guy has and he does. I don't even mean that he's like seeming like a sort of more masculine gay guy. I mean, he somehow seems like. Just some random dude bro who's very toned. Like, I don't know how to explain this because I feel like there's, there's obviously gay men could also, and I'm sure are also looking at this and like enjoying it. But this guy just, he reads as more straight in the scene. Like the whole, there's nothing like he's going up those stairs and this like, everything's very bare bones. He's not in some kind of like nicely designed apartment or something. Like he's just on a roof. I even want to say that the shoes and socks staying on like this it's just like he seems like he could be some someone's like your friend's boyfriend you know what i mean like he just seems like he could be some guy and let me watch it one more time yeah. <laughs> no. um i don't know what it is but like i 100 percent agree with you about this that this seems more geared towards women and and what specifically that's what I, what i was trying to get at with like often when i've seen posts like this in different contexts they it, the assumption is that it's for men and here i don't think you see that that is true. Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, so like this was many years ago. I'm going to, so I'm going to completely date myself because I'm going to mention both the World Cup and Jezebel, <laughs> two things that are um, a few, a few years out of, well, I mean, the World Cup obviously is coming back, but um, anyway, Jezebel used to run this feature of like, it was just photographs, just like a photo post of World Cup players whose um, shorts had hiked up a bit so that their thighs were really fully exposed. And uh, and that would just be the whole thing. It was just like, let's appreciate these thighs. And it was, I don't know, it was funny. It was like there was a sort of a, an agreement that this was the part of the man that you could like actively lust after. And there's a whole lot of thigh in this video as well. There's thigh, but there's not only thigh. No, no, that's true. I'm still trying to figure out if that's the Chrysler building behind. Well, anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so speaking of good-looking men, can we segue to our next good-looking man? We can. So now we're going. Now I'm going to date myself. Okay, I'm going to take myself on a date. Um, when I was probably like 10 or 11, which would have been in the uh, early 90s, I had a picture of this individual on my wall in my room and here he still is i mentioned this same oh no yes i said something about this very same man um on the streetcar the other day and a group of 
girls who are probably women, whatever, I would assume in their early 20s or late teens, who I would not have thought of as necessarily fans of um, the same actor, were suddenly talking very excitedly about how one of them had seen him perform, I guess, in a band at some club in Toronto and like how he's around, I guess. He's just like around. So anyway, the man is Keanu Reeves. So anyway, he's his appeal spans the decades and his partner also <laughs> spans the decades. His, well, his partner has seen the decades, I should say. It's not that the this is so you know how there's age gap discourse. Mm-hmm. There's also lack of age gap discourse, okay? So <laughs> as stupid as one is, the other might exceed it in stupidity. So you know how there are the people like the 19-year-olds who sign on to complain that a 25-year-old is dating a 20-year-old and that that's basically pedophilia? There are also people more of the incel type who log on to complain whenever a middle-aged or older man is with a middle-aged or older, but probably just middle-aged woman. So there was a whole round of this about Pierce Brosnan recently because I guess his wife, who is... I don't know, not 20, is a bit heavier than she was when she was younger. She's not like notably like enormous. She's just, you know, like most people gain some weight with time. What is Pierce Brosnan doing with a woman who is not 20? Indeed is the question that these incel type people want to answer. Okay. But then this came up again more recently with Keanu Reeves. There and there was just this post. I just found like the wording of it somehow extremely funny. And then the replies were really funny. So it was by RX Red Pill. So he's giving you a prescription for the red pill. Why is this guy simping for a post-wall woman? And this guy is Keanu Reeves, pictured at some event on the red carpet with his partner, who is a woman. What's her name? I forget. I have to look this up again. I had looked this up. Alexandra Grant. She's an artist. She is uh, 300 years old. No, she has gray hair. She is nine years younger than he is. He is 59, so I guess she's 50. Um, She is, apart from the gray hair, I would say pretty conventionally attractive in terms of, like, you know, she's a tall, thin at least per this photograph, not wrinkled woman who just has like white hair and the sort of white hair that you could imagine she may have had for decades. You know what I mean? Like it's really white because I'm watching only murders in the building now. I'm going to say like Steve Martin white. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. She looks just like Steve Martin. Why, why is he? <laughs> no, but she doesn't look anything like Steve Martin. That's it's funny, when I first saw this picture, I thought, like, I just glanced at it, and I thought that he was standing next to Helen Mirren. I could see that. Which I could see it, that. She has a Helen Mirren quality. Yeah, it's something about her bone structure and, like, her features. Um, but that made th- the caption very funny to me, because I was like, <laughs> I mean, that, uh, you know, agreed, like, it is a post-wall woman, but for God's sake, it's Helen Mirren. And then I looked, and I was like, no, wait, that's not Helen Mirren. Like, even Helen Mirren has not staved off the passage of time facially to that extent. And then I was like, oh, no, it's his, you know, his 50-year-old girlfriend, who I guess is, well, you know, where where is the wall? I. I keep waiting to to have it like rise up in front of me as I'm just like walking around town. It's like, here it is. You're going to run into it now. Um, but what is it? It's basically any woman over the age of 22. 
I think it's different things. And I think that um, it's like, so there are people arguing about this in my blog comments about what, which is the, what is meant by a wall. I think it's basically Leonardo DiCaprio, right? He will only date a woman till she's 24 or something. It's probably something like, I think that's what it refers to is like the, the age at which a woman might be worried she's too old, you know, or at which a man who has a lot of notions of who he would or wouldn't date, but is obviously not dating anybody would consider a woman too old. I don't know. It's obviously not anything more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do want to know what Keanu's doing with this 50 year old when he could be dating a, a 41 year old who lives in Connecticut. What the fuck? Well, so that's the thing. So you see a photo like this and, and if you're a woman, you might think <laughs> there's hope for us all. But anyway, I love though the first reply to this, which is she is what a 50 year old WW white woman looks like gracefully without hair dye and Botox. So I scroll up immediately, <laughs> return to the face. Like, I believe there's some Botox at work there. I mean, there. I don't know exactly which which injectables we're talking, but like either she's naturally wrinkle free or there's something going on. And um, I just think it's funny the idea that like because she doesn't dye her hair, it's the natural look is just interesting. Um, and maybe she does dye her hair. Maybe it's naturally some other color. I don't know. But yeah, and obviously Keanu Reeves does dye his hair because. <laughs> jet black it is and his beard isn't and yeah or maybe not obviously i don't know that i don't know their beauty secrets but um anyway so there i just found the replies extremely funny and my favorite though was from flint savage who posted from what i've heard he's a genuinely nice guy who will take a picture with anybody <laughs> Just from somebody who doesn't get that this is actually his girlfriend. And it's like, see, like, why are we mad at Keanu Reeves for standing next to this old lady? But then the other, my other favorite, though, is from the person who um, supports Keanu Reeves' decision to be with this woman, but from the sort of manosphere right. And this is MV Media at MV Media 4K, credit where credit is due. I don't, I don't want a Claudine Gay MV Media here. Okay. <laughs> She's probably <laughs> extremely feminine and submissive with traditional values. That's hard to find in a woman of all generations these days. <laughs> this, this artist who Keanu Reeves is with, I'm sure, is um, extremely submissive with her traditional values. That makes a lot of sense. What's fun is when you find a picture like this, it just it ends up being just an object onto which everybody else can project like their inner weirdnesses to every possible degree. It's just great. It's just a blank slate. I mean, I feel like I only project the extremely basic sentiment of hope for us all. <laughs> like, it's always nice to see that, like, anybody, I mean, not anybody, obviously, you know, not anybody, but if one's, I mean, I never really liked Leonardo DiCaprio, but I did like Keanu Reeves. So, um, yeah, so I counted as a win. But, but yeah, I just thought it was funny, this idea that he's doing something wrong. And the reason that, that this interested me was just this idea that I think men have this idea of there needing to be like the attractive women not all men hashtag but you know certain men have this idea that there's like there are the beautiful women if you're keanu reeves you would want to get one of the beautiful women and this woman simply on by virtue of her age could not be one of them therefore keanu reeves was like hoodwinked by feminism to do this to have a partner he actually is interested in and 
is not just for show. The idea that he's doing something wrong is very funny. There's also something kind of funny about the idea that he's doing something right as opposed to just something unremarkable. Like he he met a woman who he loves and then he stayed with her. Like that's what most people do. I mean, I guess like, you know, I I'm glad he did. I'm a little annoyed at how tall she is and and how short I am. I'm yeah. looking at these pictures. And you know what? I'm actually looking at another picture from the the Botox free might be true. I think that might just have been a very airbrushed photo. She may be genuinely Well, she got blown out by the flash a little bit. Oh yeah, I see somebody somebody Page six, Helen Mirren says comparison to, to Keanu Reeves' girlfriend, Alexandra Grant, was, quote, flattering. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just very funny. Um, I just think that that's a new story. Woman compared with a similar looking but much younger woman calls this flattering. Um, yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I thought that I was just interested in the idea of being angry at Keanu Reeves. Like, yeah, I obviously to celebrate it is a bit much too. And it's also a bit patronizing, like, good for you, Keanu Reeves, being with this disgusting crone. You know what I mean? Like, there's an element of that. And I think this was even, this came through even more with the, um, Pierce Brosnan, because there was also, and this is kind of helping segue us to our bigger topic, as it were, um, (laughs) with the Pierce Brosnan one. There was the fact that his wife, I believe, is a bit heavier, and therefore, like, it it got it got to even more um, patronizing places. And the defense of Pierce Brosnan dating or married to, um, you know, a woman of not thinness. You know what's really funny is like I I know at least for Pierce Brosnan, like it's not just that he's married to this woman; they have. <laughs> several children together and i there's some real tension in this conversation like amongst the people who are having it earnestly between the idea that you are supposed to like you know be married and reproduce and that like children do better in a marriage with two parents or whatever um and the idea that after your wife is done having kids at which point she may be somewhat heavier um or certainly her body might not look exactly the way it did before that you're supposed to it's like your duty as a man to trade her in for a newer model i think you have to pick one well so okay trump right that's what this is about like it's that there are these certain men who are these alpha men who are supposed to be doing what all men in their heart of hearts would like to do and while the average man should just you know do like you say the sort of you know stand by the woman and all of this and you know, lead a wholesome life, there are these certain men who are supposed to be above the law. And I think for a certain type of (laughs) trad thinking man, or I don't know if trad is even the right word, the idea is that a Pierce Brosnan or a Keanu Reeves should be like Trump. And weirdly enough, neither a Pierce Brosnan nor Keanu Reeves seems to be particularly like Trump. Okay. I just had an incredible thought, um, more of an image that I have to share with you. Okay. Um, the Jeremy Allen White boxer briefs video, only it's Donald Trump. I am going to cleanse that thought out of my head by continuing what I was doing, which is a Google image search of Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you picture it though? Come on, just li- just linger there for a moment. Linger with the I'm sure idea. That the, I'm sure that AI has the capacities for this, but I would not. Oh um, my God. 
Okay, I know what I'm going to Sorry, spend did I the- plant an idea? Yes. Okay, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to spend okay. the rest of my afternoon doing. Chat GPT is going to be like, no, I won't do that. <laughs> it's going to be like the time I tried to get it to help me um, write a murder side plot, except, you know. Right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So so we have Donald Trump in his underpants. Um, yes, I have lots of thoughts about like male beauty when we're in like philosophizing about it, watching videos about it, learning more about it by watching this man in his underpants. But I think I really don't want us to miss like the, the, the I'm not going to say the big topic again. I'm going to stop myself. The, the one the one with a lot of meat on its bones, you the, mean? The entree, the entree. We want to, we want to spend, we want to make sure we spend enough time on this. You know, we want to, we don't want to overindulge, um, but is there even <laughs> such a thing? I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> I, I've been so bad. Um, <laughs> yes. So Kat wrote this really great review of. I mean, great as in like great to read, not great as in enthusiastic. Of um, Kate, the philosopher Kate Mann's new book, uh, Unshrinking for Unheard, Unheard, Unshrinking, um, and it's uh so Kate Mann is known for having written about misogyny before and now she's written about fat phobia. She's a sort of a pop philosopher as I understand it. Like I, I feel like she is one of these people who's really kind of made the transition from academia into the public consciousness, which bothers me that it's her who's managed to do this and not somebody um I'm trying to think of what the word I, I'm looking for is. Somebody who's more of a disciplined thinker. Well, I do wonder because this all seems like very similar to like there. There are just a lot of people who are not academics who make these same points who are you know just writing hot takes for whatever. And I, I'm wondering since you did actually read the book, which I have not, does she take it to someplace more philosophical in the book? Like, is there a long? Because I read her uh, Substack presenting the book. To me, the idea that you shouldn't fat shame and all of this, I've seen this elsewhere. I've even, oh, I'm going to, I need to, it, is it Virginia Soul Smith? I think she writes about the same stuff and she's not an academic. It says here, she's a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in New York, New York Times Magazine, Harper's Slate, whatever. So she's, she's written about all of these same things and seemingly, and in a, in a sort of engaging way from the sort of it's okay to be any size. It's okay to let your children eat whatever they feel like perspective. And she writes clearly in all of this, um, is Kate Mann doing something different? I mean, not exactly. What she, I mean, she marshals an enormous amount of like, you know, kind of disparate and diverse evidence to make the argument that we don't treat fat people very well in society, which, you know, yes, true. Like, I don't think this is news to anybody. Um, Then she starts trying to make more normative arguments about like how we should think about things like the, the data that suggests that being extremely overweight isn't really very good for your health. Um, And as soon as she starts doing this, she ends up just becoming very confused and like, Every time she tries to kind of veer into discussion of like how things should be, how we should think, um, she basically hits the same stumbling block, which is that, you know, she she's just not a very thoughtful writer. And she wants to kind of make demands without making an argument. I don't know. I'm having a really hard time articulating what it is about her 
what it is about her writing that bothers me so much or that I find so unpersuasive. Like when I was reading her book, it made me feel like I had forgotten how to read and how to synthesize information. And it took me a while to realize, no, it's not me. It's that this is how the book is written. The book is written in a way that makes it really difficult to like synthesize any of what you're seeing into some kind of broader point or into like a larger whole because the whole just doesn't exist. It's like she has conclusions and then she, you know, just like throws a bunch of stuff at the wall and she's like, and that's why. You know, and it's like, and there's very little. It's better better to throw stuff at the wall than to hit it. <laughs> um, yeah. So when I saw that this book existed at all, and this was probably because you told me that you were writing about it, um, I thought that there, it seemed very much like a passe thing to care about, like the white woman from an educated perspective. I don't want to say background. I don't know her background, but I mean, like from whatever, you know, the sort of upper middle class white woman writing about body image and weight. Hello, 1998. Hello, 2010. Maybe this is not a 2023 concern. It's extremely passe to, it seems like what she does to make it relevant is, and this comes through in her, um, I need to find it, her substack where she, where she says, okay, well, uh, okay. How she writes, um, how far was I willing to go to lose weight? How could I continue to teach moral philosophy while feeling that my own moral practice was so lacking when it came to my relationship with my own body? What changed things for me was the dawning realization that fat phobia is a, and then this is italicized, structural, intersectional, and systemic phenomenon. So, okay, end quote. Um, yeah, she's, once she realizes that it's systemic, then it can count. And more to the point, once she realizes that it's rooted in anti-blackness, so this is not about some white lady wanting to lose a few pounds. Oh no, this is about structural things. This is about Black Lives Mattering and so forth. And that's how I think you have to do it today. That's how you have to, how, how you have to make it relevant, how you have to make it so that otherwise it's white feminism. I think it's really interesting, you know, as you pointed out that she, that, that paragraph where she's like, I finally realized, like, that is, I think, revelatory in two ways. One, it's like I realized here's a way I can write about this without it being, you know, like off trend or, you know, passe or whatever. Um, but I think it's also a realization that she can write about this and fit it into her larger oeuvre because like the kind of through line in her work and especially in this book is I'm unhappy and that's a systemic problem. Like it's the world's fault that I feel bad and that's very much like, I don't think that man would agree that this is the thesis of the book, but it's the thing that stood out most for me is that she kind of encourages her reader to just like marinate in this sense of victimhood. Um, yes. The idea is that like, you know, it's not, a, it's not a self-help book. It's like, here's why you, you know, you feel bad and you should feel bad and the world should change to make you feel better. I think this is something like, I mean, I've been writing about this for years, and it's very frustrating that the, the world has not warped itself to change to suit what I would like. But the way that personal writing, especially feminist personal writing, has for truly at this point probably decades, although at least a, at least a decade, been this idea that you have everything has to be woman has problem in own life, realizes that it is actually systemic, marshals evidence cites statistics, points out why it would be worse if she were black, disabled, working class, whatever, has the list of, of qualities 
that she, you know, her if, if she didn't have whatever forms of privilege she does have, it would be even worse. It's a template. It is a template. And I, I hate it because I think people it should be able to write about both the world and what actually objectively matters most in the world as they understand it, and also themselves. And personal writing shouldn't have to have this kind of template to be universally resonant. It should come from the writing, you know, the the universality is in the specificity. And I think this idea that every time a woman has any kind of complaint about her life or her feelings about her body or whatever it is, it needs to, there needs to be statistics. It comes from this very specific type of like, I guess I want to say like Atlantic article type story, you know, like it's a very specific journalistic format that then gets turned into books. And I mean, I'm very conscious of this writing my own book that I do not want to write that book. Like, I I don't think that's interesting. I feel like it's, but that's what's considered that you did your homework, you know? And it's just, it drives me nuts. And like, I think people need to be more creative as writers and just like, and, and not just people who are writing like creative writing type fields, but even in nonfiction, I think you need to just, and and some people are, you know, um, I would even say somebody, so I did not particularly like this book that I'm going to mention, but it doesn't do this. So Nona Willis Aronowitz, her book, Bad Sex, which is like, it has a lot of issues and I reviewed it once. So like, I'm not going to get into what the issues were, but the point is rather than doing that, rather than having these like statistics, she talks about like 1970s feminist texts that talk about the thing that she's dealing with. And it's just so much more interesting to do something different. You know what I mean? Like to just, you can do research without it being the very predictable research as if you're trying to do like either New York Times Magazine or Atlantic article turned into like, okay, sorry, that's a bit of a rant, but um, it's possible. I feel more strongly about this than I do about Jeremy Allen White's ads. (laughs) Which which is is saying saying something. something. Yeah. I mean, I I think that you've identified something interesting that like also flows both ways. It's, you know, I feel bad, hence I have to go looking for statistics about it to legitimize that. But it's also like women writers, I think, are more subject to this than, than men, maybe even exclusively so. It's like I found an interesting statistic um, or an interesting area of study, but I can't just write about that unless I also make it personal and like explain why this has a lot to do with me. That comes from, so that comes, I think, to some extent from editors wanting a personal angle, make this about you. And the expectation is that you make it about you. And yeah, it's frustrating because obviously, you know, we are both writers who, you know, will include our, ourselves to some extent in what in some of what we're writing you know so it's not that I, I think it should be like forbidden or something but yes this idea that you can't just and it's also own voices if it doesn't affect you what business is it of yours to be writing about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right so that gets us a little bit to the idea that Kate Mann herself um she writes about in this newsletter post about uh fat people not being able to fit in airplanes and she uses we so obviously I have to look up what this woman looks like and she's, I'm sorry, unless there, there's some real optical illusions, she, she, she would, th- this is a woman who is not having trouble fitting into any airplane seats. I'm sorry, like unless, again, as I said, unless there's some kind of edit, photo editing optical illusions, I don't see how this would be possible. I'm sure she's capable of feeling too fat in a pair of jeans. Who isn't? I, I'm saying, I don't think that she's, so, I think it's just a bit sneaky because it seems like, to me at least, there are two different things. When you talk about fat phobia, you're talking about both basically basically slim people, mainly women, uh, wishing they were thinner, 
And you're also talking about like the actual day-to-day, you know, struggles of a marginalized group, namely obese people, right? Like to me, this just seems like two completely different things. And um, anyway, I'm not completely different. They're not unrelated, but but the idea that that you could kind of do an hashtag own voices about fat phobia. I feel like you have to be fat to do that. Maybe. I'm sorry. Sorry for calling you thin, Kate Mann. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to deprive you of your identity, but sorry for calling a woman looking thin in that dress. But she does. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, for various reasons and obvious reasons, I did not want to bring this up in my review because it's it shouldn't be important. And yet, the, the fact that man does tie this so much to her personal experience as an allegedly fat person to discover that homegirl's not even fat, like in the sense that, you know, like I'm, I, I want to describe this as accurately as I can so people understand what we're talking about when we say not fat. Like I saw a picture of her full a full body shot crucially a recent a recent one about about her new book yeah yeah it was taken about six months ago that's crucial like, that's crucial that she's that this is in reference to her new book this is not like some picture of her from when she was you know 20 right it was like if i go on tour for my new book this is what i'm going to be wearing and it's a picture of her in a, a long dress okay is it possible that the shape of her body underneath this long dress is maybe like a little bit larger than she might like or than the average supermodels than you know Keanu Reeves's girlfriend for instance yeah but if i can look at <laughs> if i can look at a picture of you full body photo and i cannot tell if you are overweight underneath the dress you're wearing then you're not that overweight like it's you know you're certainly not the kind of overweight that makes you a member of a like this marginalized group of people who really do suffer terribly you know not just because the world is not built for them um but because they experience like terrible discrimination at the doctor you know they often don't go to the doctor because of this like the the world I mean, the whole world is not made for them it's like you have to worry about breaking your furniture exactly these two different things should the woman who's a size eight and wants to be a size four rework her life to have that goal. I would argue, no, I think there's a real strong feminist case for trying your darndest not to worry about this. I think it's harder than it sounds and possibly impossible, but I do understand that. And I think that there's no health benefit to being like even thinner. There might be real health risks to the measures you would undertake to do that. That is a completely different question. But I think the problem is that the women writing about this tend to be in that category, but because that's not an actual story, when you look at the stats about obesity in America, you know, of course, you have to write about actual fat people, right? So I think there's something distasteful about a woman who does not share the struggles of the very obese population of this country, writing a book in which she argues quite vehemently that people who do have those struggles should stop caring about, like that, that it represents some kind of like philosophical or principled betrayal of something that it's like immoral in some way or intellectually dishonest or like a failure to you know to be the most enlightened to be your most enlightened self um, if you want to lose weight or if you believe that your weight is contributing to health problems. It's like, 
you know, sitting there in your position as a person who is comfortably, you know, maybe like maybe you don't love exactly what your body looks like, who among us does, but, you know, but you're not walking around every day worrying that if you sit on a chair, it's going to crumple underneath you. You're not worried about fitting into the airplane seat. So is this that Rob Henderson luxury beliefs thing? Is that what this is? Is it because women who are already thin, upper class, whatever women who are already thin would benefit from thinking about their weight less, you get this discourse that nobody should think about their weight at all that's harmful to the masses who are more massive or something. Yeah, I mean, I think there may I think there may be something to that because one of the most frustrating chapters is where she starts talking about the health angle of all this. And she's like, fat bodies can be healthy, but also you don't have to be healthy to be valid. And it's like, you're intellectualizing this to death. You know, sure, okay, there's the way you think about your body and like yourself as the inhabitant of this vehicle that brings you through the world. And like, yes, you should endeavor to be kind to your body and to and to love your body. I mean, that also means in many cases, like taking care of your body, maintaining it. You only get one, right? Um, but this idea that like, on a on a societal level that we shouldn't care that the population of obese people in the past 50 years has gone from 15% of american adults to 43% that we shouldn't care about that and we shouldn't talk about it and we shouldn't think about it because th- those bodies are valid no matter how healthy they may or may not be like you can't run a society that way health problems that afflict people at the population level are something that need to be considered. You know, that doesn't mean that you should be unkind to people or that you should be thoughtless, especially when the the issue is something that also has, yeah, like really serious cultural connotations and is very fraught. But it really bothers me that she is aiming what seems like kind of self-sabotaging rhetoric at a population that is going to be harmed by it if they take her advice. So that's one thing. The other thing, and I was very excited to tell you about this um, because it's, I think, a really interesting example of a phenomenon that you've talked about before in other contexts, is man really wants to like eat her cake and have it to to use a terrible... To use a terrible turn of phrase, given the context, um, but when it comes when it comes to her experience as a person who is who is fat allegedly and hence has the, the problems of a fat person, and I found this especially revealing in the parts where she starts talking about um, the sexuality and sex appeal and like fat phobia in the sexual realm because when men don't want her it's like it's fat phobia but when men do want her it's also fat phobia and she really is at pains to make sure that we know that when she was young she was considered sexually desirable by a lot of men who liked how big her boobs were um oh boy (laughs) sorry so this okay. So this is this is one from one of the anecdotes. There are many many anecdotes from Kate Mann's life, but this is from one of them. Um, she's talking about times that she was like essentially victimized by people feeling a certain way about her body. For every Nick who called me a little Elvira, there was an aunt, my own aunt, who described me in front of my family as quote an intense looking girl with big boobs. 
Don't be offended, she said, smirking, seeing my face turn ashen. I am too. I, I, I just, I feel like there is so much humble bragging in this book. Like she makes sure that we know that she had big boobs and we, she makes sure we know that men like her. Um, you know, she makes sure to say that she had a boyfriend, like a stereotypically hot boyfriend who went to another school. In Canada. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, I think this guy, I think this guy was real. You know, but that her other friends, her male friends who were who teased her about her weight when they found out that she had this boyfriend, they obviously were jealous and they never talked to her again because like they wanted her so badly. And I'm not saying like that you can't share information like this in any book, in any context, but the fact that it's being shared in this book in this way, I don't know. Like I thought it was kind of funny. Isn't it a little bit like the um, Harvard is stupid, people shouldn't care about Harvard, says I, person who went to Harvard undergrad, Harvard grad, is now teaching at Harvard? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know? it's a lot like that. It's that. Okay. and But with bigger boobs. Yeah. I mean, I could understand with that the ant anecdote, it's uncomfortable to have your body commented on, but that doesn't seem specifically about being fat. That just seems like Whatever, like I had a professor, I'm going to humble brag, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a Kate Mann about this. I had a professor in grad school who would comment on how thin she found me to be like every day. And it was weird and it made me very uncomfortable. And while I was glad that she didn't think I was fat in this fat phobic society we live in, I would have been even gladder had she just not talked about what my body looked like and just gone ahead with the business of teaching the class. Um, but... The point of the story is that I was in 1800 whenever this seminar was. It, yes, just so, so thin. That, I mean, I, the thing is, like, I know objectively, like, I don't know what this was. She just had some kind of obsession. She was also obsessed with, like, like, clothing and where she thought it came from and had a lot of notions about a bunch of stuff I had bought at mall stores near the campus. But anyway. Um, Interesting. The point is that, like, I think that something you can be both flattered and insulted by the same interaction. Yes. So I would imagine that's probably how she felt. Flat but I feel like you have to be honest about the both flattered and insulted part. It doesn't seem like this is a so I, I guess this is something I struggle with with anything like this where the point of a book is like don't be mean to fat people. Who who's disagreeing with this? Who's saying I mean apart from some edge lords, like who's disagreeing with this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> one answer to that actually is fat people. Um, who will occasionally come out of the woodwork to be like, no, like I'm glad somebody shamed me for my weight because it was it was the thing I needed. It was the kick in the pants I needed to decide to get healthy. Right. Oh, I had a question for you. I had a question for you about the book itself. So given the stats on how many Americans are obese, it doesn't seem possible that everybody who's obese is being shamed for it in their day-to-day -day lives because of the way people cluster, you know, most obese people probably are around a lot of other obese people. Like who exactly, like, is it only, who is getting fat shamed at this point in time? Is it just like the person who's fattest in their social circle? Because it would seem like impossible just demographically that everybody who is medically considered fat would be being fat shamed in their day-to-day -day life. Does that make sense? Am I making any yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. I, I think that the, you know, interpersonal fat shaming is probably rarer than what man is trying to talk about, which is like the cult, the culture, you know? I mean, I, I agree. When we talk about 
like the second you start talking about fat people on airplanes, you're already talking about like a very small segment of the population because most people, most Americans don't fly. Like, you know, it's, it's just not how they get around. Um, and so, but there's the idea that fat people are used as punchlines or, you know, they're like the villain in the movie or whatever. Um, or it's supposed to be like, I don't know, you always hear about this. It's like an urban legend. I guess it does occasionally happen where guys at college, like as a joke, will t like undertake some kind of competition to see who can have sex with the fattest woman or something like that. I don't know. It's... She says that this took place recently at Cornell University. Ah, uh, yes, there. She well, recently. Hmm, interesting, what she calls recently, twenty eighteen article um, that she wrote about in twenty twenty three. This happened in twenty eighteen. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking, like, was the article written in twenty eighteen about something that happened in like nineteen seventy six? You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, and I think like also because of the relationship between obesity and poverty, when you get into an environment, like one of these rarefied spaces, like, you know, Cape Man is in academia, um, you don't see as many fat people. And specifically, she teaches at Cornell. So she's not just like, because there are colleges everywhere. She's specifically in a Ivy League Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, the the Ivy League is not, you know, particularly known as a bastion of the morbidly obese, which is fine. Um, but I don't know, I think it the context of that is important. We can hold hearings um, in Congress to see if there's fat phobia at MIT, Harvard, and whichever was the other one. Yeah. Is it against their is it against their speech policies? To, to have a pig roast? <laughs> what apparently it's called that's what it says here that's literally what it, i'm quoting from i'm i'm credit where credits do this i'm quoting from um kate man's substack they call it a pig roast okay yeah so that yes i mean i think it, it just seems like except for edgelords i do think that like true cruelty on the basis of appearance is just like such an obvious thing to avoid doing the only time I ever see it defended sort of from the progressive side is like, oh, but it's okay if it's Trump, you're insulting, whatever. Um, and yes, it is. But okay, so can we talk about this, the white women? Yeah, yeah. Can we, we talk should. about white women? Because um, <laughs> my favorite topic. Um, so do you want to read the, the, um, the, and that's another reason part from her Yes, substack? so this is from her. I mean, this, this actually, this would be a good place for us to end because it also gets at the thesis of the book, which I found so incredibly bleak. But before she, when, when she's articulating this thesis, she says, I'm not sold on either body positivity or neutrality. These movements are historically important, if regrettably prone to being co-opted by white women. <laughs> Let's just unpack that for 15 minutes. <laughs> there's a lot. So first, there's a link to something on, on bitch.com, which, which I think doesn't exist anymore, which is probably why the link is broken. Um, Co-opted. So the first thing that struck me about this is, um, isn't she white? And isn't she writing about this topic? Is she co-opting something? This is like, this is that thing where you, where you point at the thing by way of putting yourself like outside the box. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, so, so she's, she's not fat, but she's in the we of fat people. She's white, but it's other women who are the white women. So she's basically, she's okay. Anyway, um, 
yeah, I mean, this, it just seemed to, the the self-awareness, I don't think that people need to like signal self-awareness for its own sake, but this seems just misleading. She is a white woman and she's writing about this. Why is it okay for her to do that and not okay for other white women to have done that? What What's different? I, I mean, I'm interested in the argument that like these movements are, are historically important, um, but she's but she's like above them. I mean, that's sort of what she's expressing here. So maybe that's why it's okay for her to write about this because at the end she doesn't land on either body positivity or body neutrality. Um, I mean, maybe that's it. Also, yeah. I mean, it also reminded me of the the thing of that article in the New York Times saying that girl, the term girl, belongs to like trans, queer, BIPOC communities. <laughs> girl, <laughs> like like a woman but younger. And yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like. The caring about what your body looks like, not wanting to care what your body looks like, these are universal. This was not invented by a community. This is like humanity. I don't know. This just seems a little bit, it just seems like that completely, it's just a new variant of the like, and it's even worse for black women. Yeah. But I mean, but also what is regrettable about a movement, a historically important movement being, let's not even say co-opted, because how do you co-opt? Like it's being participated in. It's an idea that is appealing to a, a broad number of people, including white women. And that's a tragedy. Why? It's a thing of like self-care. It's like, it's like instead of instead of leaving it to like Audre Lorde as like, you know, citing, uh, in, in, citing, it's always about citing, <laughs> instead of having it be like the original meaning that then it's, there's some kind of like, you know, in, Instagram influencer version. I get, I kind of get from that, like she means that some sort of, is that, is that the most generous possible? Am I being too generous? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say too, too generous. I mean, yeah. I don't, not that I, not that I think that man put a great deal of thought into this sentence, which, you know, I don't think she puts a great deal of thought into anything she writes, frankly. But I, I just, I want to linger on it. Like, you know, if you have an idea that is good, that is, you know, beneficial to humanity, surely, like, are white women human beings or not? Like, do do they have bodies or not? Like, are they, are they allowed to be part of a movement that endeavors to better the human experience by releasing you from the anguish of constantly feeling like you're too fat and not worthy like isn't who who is allowed access to that shouldn't it be everybody and like why is it considered unfortunate or regrettable if a a certain group of people manages to gain access to that not even a group of people who are like united by ideology but a group of people who just happen to look a certain way it's so bleak. Is she saying that like there's some that there's profit to be had in body positivity and that the profit is going to Lindy West rather than I don't know whoever invented body positivity probably wasn't Lindy West. I don't know. Is that what she's saying? Know. Like I have no I idea. Know, but she she says historically important if, you know, if regrettably prone to being co-opted. Like Does she I talk mean, in the book about the historical like whatever um, invention yeah, I mean, she, of she, she, I'm sure she sure take sure, that box. She does. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, she you know obviously, of course, you know she makes she makes her case in the book that fat phobia is the ultimate intersectional oppression, which is you know what makes it, which is why it isn't just about white women and their bodies. So, so what is the the thing you wanted to end on? Yeah, where she lands, she says she holds out hope for a future 
um, here's the quote, in which our current relentless beauty pageant has no more judges and not a single entrant. It is not that everybody wins or gets a participation trophy in the form of our collective studied neutrality. There should be nothing in its place. There ought to be no contest. Go for a walk sometime. You can appreciate a leaf, a sunset, a dog without ranking it against others or pronouncing it superior. Um, and then she talks about self-expression and um, how you should dress the way you want, but it's but it shouldn't be about beauty. It should just be because it makes you feel the most yourself. And I mean, I'm I am for initially heartened by the fact that her prescription for the world is literally impossible. Okay, like you yes. you cannot yes. you cannot live in a world where you are appreciative of the visual diversity of the things and people around you but never take the step further of realizing that you prefer some of these things to others. But also it is God, like such a, just a bleak, bleak vision of a world in which everybody's walking around in this state of, there's just this vacuum in place of truly engaging with the world because like, what if you engage with some things in the world more than others and that is problematic in some way? Like, ugh. all right, anyway, so you were saying. So you need, you need to read, you need to read uh, my friend Brian's beauty blog, Substack, not blog, whatever. I linked to it in the thing about Keanu Reeves. It's all about beauty, not like generally of people. It's it's more about architecture, but sometimes about other things. But anyway, yes, I don't think that everybody agrees with Kate Mann that you should not be able to say that one leaf is prettier than another leaf. Oh, that is leaf shaming. Don't shame the less attractive leaves. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like, I'm with her to a point about the beauty pageant. Like, I don't think that this thing where you have to find this consensus over who's beautiful and have that woven into every part of life such that if a woman is going to work as a receptionist, she has to be beautiful. Like, I think that's a little, you know, that that's fine. I, I am all in favor of dispensing with that. But the idea that there would not be subjective sort of who's more beautiful than another. I mean, this always brings me back to the same thing, which is you can't have me too and consent and all of this and not have the right to discriminate for yourself on who is and isn't making a certain cut in that way. Um, you can't. It, it doesn't work. It's fascinating too because she writes a lot about this. And I mean, I don't know how she imagines like what what does the world of like making a sexual overture and being either rejected or accepted. What does that look like in this imagined future where we're not allowed to like make judgments between the appeal of two things? Okay. So yes. So this is this thing and I've seen a lot about this and I'm writing a lot about it and it's been driving me nuts for ages, which is this idea that you have to interrogate your desires and that you have to somehow pick apart as if this were possible what's what you want and what's what society thinks you should want. And obviously these things are going to be mixed up together in certain respects, but they're not so mixed up together that you don't walk around and see couples who look all different ways. You know, obviously most people would not win a beauty pageant. Most people are beautiful to somebody else. You know, like it's just, mm -hmm. oh, it, it, it seems ridiculous. And um, it seems like you can get, you can, you can dispense with the stuff that, 
Kate Mann and anybody reasonable would want to dispense with about, you know, like shaming people for not being spectacular looking or whatever without um, pretending that people are just going to all, you know, (laughs) just stop looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Mann is writing this from the perspective of uh, a woman in her 40s who's married with a child. So like at the most cynical, I would interpret this in certain ways as a kind of a fuck you got mine approach to things like I don't know that your average um, 21 year old no matter how they look would really appreciate emerging into a social landscape in which like discernment is not permitted but I don't even think a married middle-aged woman with a child would want to live in that world like people still like you don't stop living in the world No, but I think she feels as though she can dispense with it, you know, for that reason. I guess. Um, I just That's a a little bit of a luxury. But it's a luxury, but I also think it's depressing. It's like this idea that you're, you reach like 40 or whatever and you're dead, which is not true. And I think that's all, I I guess I find that dystopian also. I mean, am I like, does, so the internet in Canada blocks news sites for like, if you like Facebook or whatever, you can't look at news in Canada. It's something complicated with law whatever, boring, I don't understand it. But is she imagining that, or, or would the idea be that like you reach 40 and you try to go click on that Calvin Klein video with the guy with the abs and it just won't play? You're too old. <laughs> You're too old that you've reached the wall, the wall, the internet provided wall. Some error message appears. You are too old to look at the abs. These are not, these abs are not for you. This is the future. So it's just once you, you know, once you hit 40 and you're like contented in your place where you no longer give a damn about anything aesthetic at all, uh, you just have your eyebrows, eyebrows, you have your eyeballs surgically removed. I mean, that's the only way. But do we imagine, I'm sorry, but like Kate Mann, feminist, right? Isn't that the idea? Anti-misogyny, all of this. Does she imagine that middle-aged men have lost their ability to notice an attractive woman, perhaps in underpants or even less than underpants? Oh, no, I think that she knows that they do notice and she thinks they shouldn't be allowed to. Well, if she says that. <laughs> I just think, I mean, I guess this has been where I've split from mainstream feminism for a long time. And indeed, the impetus for my, the book I'm writing is like, I think there should just, everybody's noticing people and that's normal. And it's not just something weird men are doing or or that weird men are doing, but it's not something weird that men are doing. Um it's just something people are doing. And I think this idea that you could just eradicate that from society is just, it's both incorrect and it just leads people to bad places. And I think you can still say that like, there shouldn't be, you know, like an ad making fun of a fat person. You can still, you can have both of these things. Like it's not either or. And there are people like, like you write in your review that she writes about like beautiful fat people, like why can't there just why can't you up the number of people like expand the horizons of what can be called beautiful rather than like claim that I mean I'm sorry but the thing about the leaves is very funny. Yes, as we're talking about this, I'm looking around, I'm looking around my house which is full of house plants because I went a little wild in uh, in the pandemic with just filling my home with greenery. And I'm looking at the leaves on some of these plants. And I'm remembering the days when I brought the plants home. And I looked at them amongst all the other plants. And I did indeed 
judge each of the plants in my home to be superior in some way to the others. And that's why I brought those plants home with me and not their fellow brother plants. Do you think that the ones you didn't select felt shamed? Oh, I, I, yeah, I could hear them screaming as I left. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, what what I've landed on is it's funny because I don't think Man actually believes this, and the fact that she talks in the text itself about you know like the gorgeous bikini poses of a fat model or the thrilling undulation of a fat belly just suggests to me that like she is talking the talk and not walking the walk at all. To me, this su- suggests a bit of protest too much. But the thing is that like you know if, if you were to imagine this vision that she has established of like you know where you're not just not judging other people on an aesthetic basis, but anything like a leaf. How do you decide how to live? How do you decide how to like decorate the space around you? How do you decide what to wear? It's, it's, you know, she's basically of an article to... years ago. Oh, sorry, go on. I was just saying like what you get is, and I say this in the piece is like a dystopian society in which everybody not just like doesn't just look the same they all dress the same their houses are all the same like everybody listens to the same music or doesn't listen to music at all because you know like it's I mean what she's basically envisioning and this is why I'm so glad that it's completely impossible is a society in which all aesthetic things including art have ceased to exist unfortunately now I've been reminded of three things it's terrible but I'm going to try to go through them quickly Hannah Gadsby Nanette, comedy is problematic. Thing one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thing two, a dinner party once years ago where a friend's husband, um, who's a mathematician, <laughs> said something about how he's never really seen the point of music, like it does nothing for him. And I thought that's interesting. It's a wide world of humanity. Um, and thing three is this Jessica Gross, not anything to do with her usual topics, Thing that she once wrote about like where she she just doesn't care about like food at all she's just not into food she eats she just doesn't care about like tasty food it just does nothing for her um god that poor woman <laughs> well i mean i was thinking about this both like ozempic supposedly does this right it makes you not care about um it makes your appetites less right in general to make you not yeah. want to go shopping, not want to. Okay, so that's one angle of it. But also, I'm just thinking that people vary in terms of how much they care about these things, and I think there's a great temptation to imagine, and I, I fully admit to having this temptation to imagining that everybody is like yourself, and I am somebody who notices everything, like in all, <laughs> like I, I'm a noticer, and it's hard for me to picture somebody not being a noticer. I notice smells more than I wish I did. I notice what food tastes like, good or bad. I notice what men look like, good or bad, although the bad and just sort of to ignore. Um, I notice these things. Maybe she's just not, you know, and a leaf. I notice leaves. You know what I mean? And like I, I'm a grown up, and I will like pick up a nice leaf. Like I think some people are just not oriented that way as much as others. And for her, maybe it would be no loss. You know, so she she has a husband, you say, or a male mm-hmm. partner. Does she yeah. notice what men look like? Does she care about Does she talk at all about men's looks and looking at men? You say she had a conventionally attractive boyfriend, but is she looking outwards or is she just ever gazed at or identifying with the person who's being gazed at? 
Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think primarily the latter, but I mean, I would, I would just dial it back to the photograph that we started talking about start of this, you know, she's wearing a dress. She's like, if I go on book tour for this book, this is what I'm wearing. How'd she choose the dress? Like, if it doesn't matter, why not wear a burlap sack? Why put a selfie full body photograph of yourself on the internet and open it up to comments if you're not thinking about that. Um, yeah, I mean, the only the only part of your article that I, I didn't, that, that where we could have our mud fight, although again, this is always like a little bit limited in terms of mud fight, because I basically agree with you. Um, now I need to, now my tabs are screwed up. And um, the, when you write about women's, um, sorry, why is my computer doing this? Um, okay, women's hardwired a, a woman, a woman's hardwired desire to be wanted. I think there's also just like a woman's, a person's hardwired desire to want. And it seems like she's denying that. Yes. You know, like, I don't think, I, I'm not sure I have this hardwired desire to be wanted. Like, I, I don't know that I have this, but I think the, the, the wanting, sure. And I, I feel like she's both, deni- she's denying, maybe it's just, I don't know if it's even a yes and or a disagreement or just like, there, there are two things she's denying: the desire that ev- that somebody who puts a selfie of what should I wear in my book tour, um, surely has. Like, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to quibble with you a little bit. I don't know that you can entirely separate desire from the desire to be desired. Like, especially once you land on, well, I mean, if you're if you're in the market anyway, um, once you set your sights on a person. And you're like, I want but it's this prag- person. I think there's a difference between the pragmatic, pragmatic, trying to look your best to expand your options versus being turned on by people thinking you're hot. I think these are different things. Right. I mean, I just don't think that I'm saying in that sentence what you took out of it, but that's okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. That's the, and it's good. It's good to have the author on the line to clarify then. No, I see what you're saying then. Okay. So then we, we are out of the mud pit. Uh, unless you have anything else to say about this, I think I'm just going to go watch that uh, Jeremy Allen White video another 40 to 45 times and call it a day. It's a little bit problematic of you because you should really just be watching the AI version where it's Donald Trump because one body is as good as the next. But um, if that's your choice, um, I support <laughs> you. Know you. That Twitter, and I might... know that Twitter account, non-aesthetic things? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't even have to fit. You don't even have to finish the thought. You don't even have to finish the thought. But yes, yes, yes. yeah, that would, uh, that would qualify. Yep, yep. Has this been feminine chaos? <laughs> I think it may have exceeded all previous manifestations thereof. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Oh, should we do our little? Yes, um, yes, yes. Uh, it's, if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more like it, please enjoy. Uh, please enjoy. Please join us on <laughs> Substack at femchaospod.substack.com, where for five dollars a month you'll get access to two exclusive subscribers-only premium episodes per month, as well as commenting capabilities and the occasional AMA and uh, just a nice community of Feminine Chaos listeners. And that's that. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.